This afternoon we turn to the Old Testament Scriptures and we're going to consider the subject love given and love taken. We continue in a book of wisdom, Proverbs. The very first chapter tells us that it is a book full of Proverbs. Says the Proverbs of Solomon. <clears throat> now the second verse tells us that it's the Proverbs are given that we might know wisdom and instruction. That is, we might experience wisdom and instruction. We might call Proverbs, or, or sorry, wisdom, the skillful use of knowledge and truth. And so. The benefit and use and result in the goal of Proverbs is to know wisdom, to experience that. To give wisdom, to apply the words of knowledge. And so we have been looking at various topics, Book of Ford's topics, and some other, what we might call, verses in the subject of potpourri, uh, verses that are not covered under subjects. But I suppose this would be under a subject called love in the book of Proverbs. We can understand that that um, the love in Proverbs would certainly deal primarily with the second table of the law to love our neighbors ourselves. But it's not a surprise to us that there are two verses in Proverbs that speak of the love of God. Chapter 3 and verse 12. And this love is obviously subjective love in both of these verses. It's God loving His people. My son, chapter 3 and verse number 12 says, my son, or verse 11, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loves, the Lord loveth, he correcteth even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. Now, the Bible is written primarily to believers, and so this is primarily to God's people, to his elect. And we see here the initial love God shows His love toward us by convicting us of sin. By correcting us. And we should be grateful when the Holy Spirit convicts us of our transgressions. We're not to despise it, the Bible says. That is, we're to love Him for it. We're to thank Him for rebuke. For instance, in our relationship... uh, Horizontally, chapter 9, verse 8 says, Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. I suppose it's one of the most difficult things in the world to love somebody who rebukes you. Some of the, some of the memories that we have that we like to forget are how we reacted poorly to those who rebuked us, whether or not they were correct or incorrect. The Bible instructs us to cultivate such a spirit that when someone has to face us 
with a problem and essentially rebukes us that we don't recoil, that we don't feel um, retaliation. And so I, I would suggest to us if, if we still have that uh, retaliatory spirit, if we still have that anger that rises up against us when someone rebukes us, that we have some some more ways, some more some more uh, road to hold. And I can say I probably have more road to hold than anybody here in responding to correction. But this is God's goodness. You know, without God correcting a sinner, without God convicting a sinner, you're not going to get saved. The Bible teaches very clearly that we need to be aware of our sin and we need to repent. And so the initial verse about God giving His love is that He chastens His people. He corrects them. We ought not to be weary of it. It says very clearly, whom the Lord loves, He corrects. And the reverse is true. Whom He does not correct, as Hebrews says, uh, that they're not His children. They're called bastards in Hebrews. And so how grateful we should be when we feel the conviction of God, when we're reading His Word, when we're hearing His Word, when the Spirit puts His Word in our, in our minds through the day. And then, chapter 15 and verse 9, this is going to be a, a little bit of a, a, um, a, a movement in the book of Proverbs. Chapter 15 and verse 9 says, The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but He loveth him that followeth after righteousness. And so you see the purpose of God correcting us and convicting us so that we might know Him and we might follow Him. So the believer who follows the Lord is a special object of His love. So God um, loves His people and He shows that by chastening, by convicting us and by the fact that by walking according to His Word that He shows His love especially for His obedient children. And so do you want to know the love of God very, very pointedly? Respond to His conviction and, and obey Him. Isn't that the acid test of our love for God? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And so we have very briefly the love of God for us given in Proverbs. But again, it should not surprise us if if first table of the law is not the dominant section of Proverbs. Proverbs are given for us how to interact, especially with each other, with mankind. And so the love of man is, is, the, is the major part of this subject whether we give love or we take love. It's not exhaustive, but those things that we are told not to love are typical idols in this world. And so I would like to start negatively. There are some things that the that Proverbs tells us not to love. So, uh, love me nots. Uh, 
love these things uh, no more. First things right off the bat. Simplicity, chapter 1. And I'll take these chronologically. Simplicity. We're told in verse 22 that how long ye simple ones will you love simplicity and the scorners delight in their scorning and fools hate knowledge. And so the Bible admonishes us to not love simplicity. The word simplicity means naivety in the wrong sense. There are some things we should be grateful that we're naive about. Some people are naive about um, sports. You haven't lost anything if you're naive about sports. If a certain name is what you don't even know whether it's a basketball player or a baseball player or a soccer player. And then there are other things. Naivety about certain evil, certain immorals. We should be grateful about that. But the Bible about is referring to ignorance that's not bliss as far as simplicity is concerned. Simplicity has the idea of being thoughtless, careless, someone who's easily misled or gullible. We're not to love this kind of simplicity. We've heard the term simpletons. And this is the idea here, uh, that we ought not to be thoughtless and careless, ignorant about those things that we should know. We should want to know the truth. We should study the Scriptures. We should increase in the knowledge of God. And we should be able to understand the doctrines of the Bible. If someone says, tell me who God is, we should be able to tell them who God is. How can I get to heaven? What is sin? Can we give people a biblical answer? Do we understand these necessary truths? We ought not to be ignorant of those things. Chapter 7, verse 18. Suppose it will help us this afternoon after we've eaten to have a little bit of movement. Chapter 7, verse 18. Many of the first chapters of Proverbs warn us about the strange woman. Literally a foreign woman. Not foreign because someone that's just uh, from another country, but foreign in the sense of ungodly. This is an alluring one, a deadly one. For the Bible says her guests are in the depths of hell. And she is, she is uh, many mighty men, the Bible says, have been wounded by her. Not weak people. Oh, uh, they're weak spiritually in the sense that the mighty, when the mighty is referring to people that are well known. But we also realize that godly people can fall to the strange woman. If someone cataloged ministers that have fallen to adultery, it would be many, many, many pages long. Please, beware of the strange woman. And may I say to the ladies... Beware of the strange man. There are adulterers, there are adulterers and fornicators as well as adulteresses. Do not love the strange woman. Oh, pray for the one that you know is, is deadly in that way. But stay far from her. 
do not be allured by her makeup and by, as the Bible says, her eyes and her ways. Very simply, do not love the strange man or woman. Do not love death. Chapter 8 and verse 36. Wisdom is personified in Proverbs 8. He that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death. Hating wisdom, that is Scripture, or the personification of wisdom, the Lord Jesus Christ, is equivalent to loving death, and that is death that is deadly death. It is the second death. Neglecting, uh, neglecting safety invites de- death and danger. And so we need to be careful that we love wisdom. We do not love death. We do not love that which leads to death. There's an interesting verse that many silently disagree with. But it says, He that spareth the rod hateth his son. If you and I neglect the discipline of our children, it is equivalent to hating them. We love ourselves and we neglect their souls. And so we, in essence, are hating our children by neglecting the pain that they'll feel now. Uh, we're, we're sacrificing the, uh, the pain they, feels, they feel now for the pain that they're going to feel later if we if we uh, neglect the rod and neglect verbal as well as physical discipline. Oh, if only parents who've seen their children in jail and seen them go the road to hell would remember and warn others to discipline their children, teach them the ways of the Lord. Chapter 17 and verse 19, sin in general but particularly strife. Chapter 17 and verse 19. He loveth transgression that loveth strife, and he that exalteth his gate seeketh destruction. This is the sin of pride that leads to quarreling. There are those that delight in quarreling and delight in just provoking people. But we are to hate this kind of sin and all sin. Ye that love the Lord hate evil. They love darkness rather than light. And, uh, the pride is, is pictured someone who exalts his gate. That's someone that particularly embellishes the entrance of his house just for reason of pride. Nothing wrong with a nice home or a nice gate or a nice entryway but they do it on purpose, as it were, to uh, draw attention to their, to their you know, wealth and to their riches and to their position. It's, a, it's, it's an example that when people are quarreling and uh, striving, it's a way in which they show themselves, to, so they think, to be on top of the world, to be stronger than others. An interesting verse in Proverbs that says, The poor uses entreaties, but the rich answers roughly. And that's a, a good verse to use if someone is, is abusing their power of wealth or position. To just you know, not flinch, be respectful, to 
they're, if, they're, if they're our boss, we just submit. But to say, sir, ma'am, you're fulfilling Scripture and it's not for your advantage to answer roughly just simply because you have money and wealth and I'm poor and, I'm, and I have poverty. We're both made in the image of God. All I ask for is your respect. And that's something that we should be able to, to face, you know, whether it be a, a colleague, whether it be a boss, whether it be a parent, whether it be a coach. Um, the Bible tells us, remember in Peter, to honor all men. But often people are deceived by the acquisition of wealth. And uh, what, a, what a shocking thing it must be for a very wealthy, influential person to die without Christ and to realize he's taken not a cent with him. He's not taken any any uh, degree with him. No no papers. No stars. No no uh, stripes. So we ought to we ought to hate sin. Interestingly, chapter twenty and verse thirteen says, Love not sleep lest thou come to poverty. That's a pretty frequent topic in Proverbs chapter 6, 10, 19, and 24 as well as this chapter in 20. This word sleep is not saying we ought not to appreciate what, what he gives his beloved. Sleep here is poetic for laziness. We ought not love to be lazy. Open thine eyes and thou shalt be satisfied with bread. In other words, awake from your lethargy. Uh, we need to be people that are diligent and try to get the sleep we need. Uh, but we should be careful not to cross the point where sleep becomes something that is uh, like drugs, like alcohol. It can become intoxicating. It can, we, can, we can be uh, um, absorbed by it. And you become like the door that turns upon its hinges. Chapter 21 and verse 17. Love not pleasure or wine or oil. Self-gratification is a general principle here. There are many people that love pleasure. And again, this is not a killjoy verse. Um, Pleasure is a good thing if we think about pleasure as a boat ride or a a hike on a trail or um, a ride in a convertible. Those things are pleasurable, but the idea here is, again, it's it's kind of poetic for self-gratification. Just we live to be, we live for pleasure. How often people are just working through the week, they're looking forward, they're, they're working toward Friday and Saturday, toward pleasure and self-gratification. No, we're to live for the glory of God and enjoy His world. I'm all for uh, the sentiment that people have is I want to see as much of God's creation on this side of glory as possible. He made the world. Why should we not enjoy seeing the Grand Canyon or the the Appalachian Mountains or uh, waterways? Just all kinds of creation and creatures for us to enjoy. But self-gratification is an idol that we ought to avoid. Some more love me nots. Chapter 27 and verse 5. 
Well, let's, let's, I'm sorry, let's, let's go over to 22 verse 1. 22 and verse 1. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. So it's similar to pleasure, self-gratification, but material possessions. So in a sense, you can live for pleasure and not have many material possessions. But the Bible warns us about loving riches and silver and gold Similar verses in Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 10. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. That is abundance. That's the idea in Ecclesiastes 5. And you know, again, these scorners will come and say, we know a lot of people that love money and they gain money. Well, here's, here's a general principle, but here's certainly a warning how people are going to find out too late that silver and gold do not satisfy the eternal um, heart, the eternity that God has placed in our hearts. It's what we do with our wealth, what we buy that shows whether we are loving material possessions. Jesus, remember in the New Testament, says, make, make to yourselves friends with the mammon of unrighteousness. And so while we, if we have it and while we may have wealth, Use it to spread the gospel. Use it to reach sinners that they'll be prepared in the time of eternity. Won't it be wonderful when you get to heaven that when people will come up to you and say, thank you for giving me that ride and tell me about Jesus. Thank you for buying that meal that set me on my way thinking about the things of God. Thank you for paying that bill that that I that I was not able to pay at the time and you then shared the gospel with me thank you won't it be wonderful because Jesus says they'll meet you in everlasting habitations rather than that we spend it on ourselves we we, uh, gratified ourselves with material possessions Um, God can cause a rich person to be godly but, but we need to be very careful he warns more often that riches can turn us from godly to ungodly in our character and our behavior. So now we turn to the positive. So I hope you don't mind the negatives getting out of the way first. There are quite a few love me's as well as love me nots. And of course, the first one is wisdom. Uh, love her and she shall keep thee, chapter 4 and verse 6. I love them that love me. Wisdom says, chapter 8, verse 17. And again, it's personified wisdom. Jesus is the wisdom of God. So, we're to love wisdom. We are to seek wisdom. Seek ye the Lord while ye may be found. We are to, to, to love the things of God. Chapter 8, verse 21. Those that love me will inherit substance and treasures. Isn't it interesting that those who seek riches and love riches, they won't be satisfied by them and may, they may not even have any of them. But the Lord turns it around, doesn't He? So you seek Me. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. So material possessions should be a result of not loving them, of loving the Lord. And uh, if the Lord gives us material possessions or inheritance or substance, we are to be careful to not hold it with clenched fists. 
and honor the Lord with our wealth, with our substance, and with the first fruits of all of our increase. And by the way, the person that, that loves wisdom is going to bless their parents. There's a special verse in chapter 29 and verse 3. Whoso loveth wisdom rejoices his father, but he that keepeth company with harlots spendeth his substance. What a what a blessing to be able to, to see the smile on your parents' face because you're seeking the Lord. I got to see the reverse when I was a drunkard. I got to see the frowns on my parents' faces. And by the grace of God, He saved me and, and I got to see the smiles on their faces that their son had, had been turned by the Lord. Can't, I don't know if there's much, much, much more gratification spiritually in this world than to, to have pleased your parents by the way you lived and to be a blessing to those that spent their lives bringing us up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Don't you agree? It's well worth it. Keep spending and being spent. And let's let's be, under under God please the people that 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 gave their time and effort to encourage our hearts and to see us grow in the Lord. And there are spiritual fathers and mothers in the churches that can can say the same thing. Their heart is rejoicing because those that they've mentored are going on with God. There won't be anything more pleasing than that, will there be? Because the Bible says in chapter 19 and verse 8 that you love your own soul if you love wisdom and instruction. So there's some of these verses that we might call under the subject of potpourri that um, are not always given a very diligent um, consideration. Chapter 19 and verse 8 he that getteth wisdom loveth his own soul. The Bible says, No man ever yet hated his own flesh. But this, the, the clearest way in which you can show the love of your own soul is to get wisdom, to get Christ, to find life, eternal life. Because you and I have a soul that will live somewhere forever. And people will pointedly feel that they've hated their souls when they descend into hell and have no hope of any life, any, any, any uh, joy, any laughter anymore. So suicide is the rejection of truth and the rejection of Christ and salvation. Chapter 5 tells us we need to be careful to love our covenant spouse. Be thou ravished always with her love and vice versa. So, you know, chapter 5 is a, is a chapter that people often blush at, but it's not meant to cause blushing. It, it really is a challenge to take the temperature of our commitment in marriage and our, and our love for our, our spouse, but it really our love for any covenant, any, anyone that's in covenant with us, and we're in covenant as a church. So do we love each other? We're in, you know, we're in covenant with God. And so there is that expansive application here but marital couples should grow in their love and in their um, fellowship with one another. 
chapter 9 and verse 8. Here we go again about loving those who rebuke us. So, love is not only given, love is taken. And we need to see the person who rebukes us as someone who's loving us. It's a real stress test. Stress tests are necessary. People do stress tests to see how their heart is. To see how their, their health is. And this is one of the stress tests that God gives us. He'll rebuke us, but sometimes He rebukes us indirectly by using a believer. He doesn't always, and sometimes people say, I'm waiting for God to rebuke me. When He already has, if He sent a believer, or even an unbeliever, God can use. Can He not? Remember the unbeliever at the, at the fire? Aren't you Jesus' disciples? Remember, God used an unbeliever to rebuke Peter for his his cowardice. And uh, remember, it wasn't not the king in Philistia that rebuked Abraham for lying about Sarah. He said, you almost caused me to, to, to really commit treason or, or sin against my nation. Why did you lie to me? Well, I didn't really lie. I told the half-truth. That was Abraham's answer. But thank the Lord. Let's pray that we'll, we'll pass the stress test. Again, chapter 9 and verse 8. And we have other verses. But in chapter 15 and verse 12, it says the scorner hates rebuke. So we should be praying often, Lord, help me to be humbled by rebuke. Help me to take rebuke without feeling, without recoiling in my soul. Help me, Lord, to be meek, to receive rebuke. And it's true. We tend to remember vividly the times that we've been rebuked by people. And why is that? I think it's because we can develop a vendetta. We can develop a dislike for them. And, and that, that burns. That's, that smarts. And I'm looking in the mirror as I, as I speak. Chapter 12 and verse 1 says, He that hates reproof, reproof is brutish, is stupid. That's a pretty point-blank thought. Chapter 10 and verse 12. Not only should we, we love the rebuker, we should even have love for the offender. Look at chapter 10 and verse 12. He that covereth a transgression seeketh love. Isn't that amazing? Somebody offends you. Somebody sins against you. And again, the, the first impression is to lash out. Is to go for the jugular. But the Lord wants the first impression to be cover the transgression. Maybe you're having a bad day. You know, I love you. I'll, um, pray for that person. You know, next time somebody cuts you off on the highway, what should our first thought be? Maybe there's a pregnant woman inside. Maybe that person is, is having a, a seizure. Maybe that person is just distracted by a tragedy in the family. So rather than laying on the horn, just in prayer, just hold back. Only that God would give us just gracious responses to offenses. Help, Lord. Help us to receive rebuke and help us to love the offender to be ready to cover a transgression. 
And many things we offend, the Bible says. And so we need to remember that. Let's and pray, Lord, I know I've offended. So the next time someone offends you and me, let's remember how many times we've offended others and how many times we offend the Lord and how gracious He is. He doesn't always come down upon our heads with a sledgehammer whenever we sin against Him. 1 Corinthians 13, remember, says love is... The word is love... Um, I better start over. I better start from the beginning. Love is... Uh, how's it start? Love suffers long and is kind. Love envies not. Love vaunteth not itself. Is not puffed up. Seeketh not his own. Is not easily provoked. That's what I'm looking for. And thinketh no evil. Those two um, mean it's not irritable. They're not easily provoked. An irritable person is someone that jumps at the, at, at the least offense. And resentful is someone who, who uh, holds a grudge, who remembers all the offenses against us. And God says He remembers ours no more. Oh, give us the Spirit of the Lord. Let us not be irritable. I can be such an irritable and resentful person. I need your prayers. I need your prayers. Not, not to be irritable. But to be slow to wrath. Not, not to be resentful we should be able to say, I don't remember what you did. You know, that actually happened. How often I have remembered the offenses of others. But there was someone that came in this building on a Wednesday two weeks ago. And remember, the person said, ask my forgiveness. They said to me that um, she had, that person had been disrespectful to me. And it was over ten years ago. And I said, she asked for my forgiveness. I said, well, I don't remember the situation. And love covers a multitude of sins. And God has forgiven us many things. But that's so rare. So often I do remember the offenses. And I can be resentful and irritable when a new offense comes. Oh, that the Lord would work on us. He's the potter, isn't He? We're the clay. Lord, give us moist clay. He can mold us, change us. He can. He can do that. God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. Therefore, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Even especially when we are offended by the one who previously had to rebuke us. <laughs> Think about that one. The person who rebuked us now has offended us. Are we gonna are we gonna say now it's my turn? Or are we gonna have that love that covers a multitude of sins? We're to love our children. He that spareth the rod hateth his son, chapter thirteen, verse twenty four. But he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. Now it's easy to think betimes means Many times. <laughs> well, it may need, they may need, certain children do, may need more than others. But the word be times means quickly or promptly. Don't let time pass. Take the, seize the moment when you do have to. Again, we, we, we apply the previous verse. 
Even with our children, there are times that love covers a multitude of sins. Where normally we might send them out to pick weeds in the garden. Or if they're young, we might normally we might take a paddle. But surprise our children once in a while by saying, I love you and I forgive you and I'm going to hold back the, 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 the punishment just to remind you about the Lord, how often He has held back the punishment with me. And I hope that that, that love will, will be as effective as a paddle or a certain discipline might normally be. And so the idea is a parent should judiciously and lovingly use the rod, whether it be the verbal or the physical rod, in other ways of discipline, but never to allow the children to run wild and to not be humbled under the discipline of God's rule. Love family. This is a real sweet verse in chapter 15 and verse 17. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. You see how there are certain verses that are covered under these maybe obscure topics, but better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. Ponder that for a moment. What is it saying? A simple home with love is better than an elegant home with hatred. It's just simply saying that your goal and my goal in our homes and in our little churches is to be content with a little and to be, to have a, even if we have just a little, that we can have a lot of love. Where how often you can see, again, a home that has a lot. It's full of hatred, strife, envy, and sibling rivalry. Pray that God would give us simplicity that is in a simple home, just content with the little things in life, with the love of God. And it can apply certainly to a, a church. This is a little church. We don't have much. But we can have a lot of love. We can enjoy our dinner of herbs and have fellowship one with another. Pray that God would not allow divisions to occur among His people in our homes. I think one of the greatest stabilizing forces is to see a a marriage that is full of love. Chapter 16, verse 13 Kings, it says, love him that speak right. The interesting thing is so many kings are wicked. And some of the writers, some of the commentators of Proverbs say that the Lord is is between the lines teaching us to look to the ultimate king. This is true of the King of kings and Lord of lords. But chapter 16 and verse 13 says, this obviously speaking of a righteous king, a godly king, Righteous lips are the delight of kings, and they that love him, and they love him that speaketh right. I think it's simply saying that these kings, these leaders who obviously are godly, or at least are wise, though they may not be saved, you know what I mean? It's uh, like 
like uh, Nebuchadnezzar, that in like some of the Persian kings, they wanted the people to be happy and not just bring them to foreign places, send them back home, and they would be more submissive. But the idea is just they want to, they want their their workers, their servants, to be straightforward and honest. Just tell me the truth. And it's isn't it? A, it's a refreshing change from the flattery and the lying in this world. Even if it's somebody that bumbles and somebody that makes mistakes, and they they just tell you the truth. They don't lie about it. They just say, "I, I did it. I broke it." You know, there are some people that that our, our grandson got an honest reward. I mean, he'll tell you everything, no matter what happens. Uh, he wants you to know about it. Well, you, I didn't need to know about that. That's what your dad and mom need to know about. Not everybody in the world, but you know, when they get in trouble by their teacher, the first thing he says after he gets out of the car, I got in trouble with the teacher today. You know, we, it's just so refreshing. And, you know, when you're not, when you don't have, when you're not out with the public that often, and especially before I got a bus driving job, I was naive in the, in the sense that there's so much lying in the world. And, you know, you experience it when you interact with people often, how people will lie without batting an eye. And you just, you're expecting them to show up and they don't. You're expecting them to pay a bill and they don't. You're expecting them to, you know, to fulfill a promise and they don't. And, you know, after a few years, you realize, wow, I understand what the Bible says, that all liars shall have their part. The Bible says the world is full of liars. And may we not join that list. May we be a people that tell the truth, and even to our own detriment, even to our, at our own cost. It's going to cost us. Tell the truth. Nothing but the truth. Let's be real straightforward. It's a refreshing change in a lying world. Let's be honest people. And uh, I think we all know an honest person, don't we, that we interact with. They're not only going to be honest when it's for their benefit. They're willing to be honest. They must be honest because they fear God, even if it's going to cost them whatever it might be. Chapter 17 and verse 17. A friend loves at all times. So speaking about friendship, the Bible says we're to love being consistent. Just being covenantly faithful to each other. Just like Jesus, we're going to love. He he was the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And the word brother here is in parallel with friends, so they're really referring to the same thing. And here's where the, the friendship, the rubber meets the road, and a brother is born for adversity. It's easy to be a friend when, you're, when the one who you're befriending is not in adversity. He's not in trouble. Fair weather friends. But here it says the friend is going to be there for adversity, literally for a narrow place. And so, you're not there, you're not befriending someone because of what he can give you. A man loveth those that give gifts, Proverbs says. But you and I are friends with a person, even and especially when that person gets in trouble. 
Remember what Paul said to that one man that visited him in jail in Rome? Is it Epaphroditus? Or Epaphras? He said, he sought me out diligently and found me. What does that say? Paul wasn't easy to be found, apparently, wherever he was being incarcerated. And that man was risking his life by asking about Paul the Apostle. Who knows who he could have met and said, what do you want to be friends with that man for? And he sought him out and he found him. He was a friend. God help us to be friends for life. Consistent. Chapter 18 and verse 21. We're almost, we're almost finished. Chapter 18 and verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. This is a challenging verse. What does it mean? It shows us the sobering effect of the tongue. A tongue can either can either be a tongue that's life-giving or death-giving. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that the death-giving tongue is someone that's necessarily slandering or slicing or killing someone. It's just saying that speech is 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 a um, powerful is a powerful way to get truth across whether it's going to be a life giving truth or a death giving truth and you and I by the proper use of the tongue realize that when we re- when we preach the gospel especially to people it's either life giving or death giving Paul said it's either a savor of life or a savor of death. But in the, the fact is, when it says you love it, you'll eat the fruit thereof, it's, it's just simply saying you, you are, are loving the fact that, that your message to the world is not going to be in vain. Your message is important. It's either life-giving or death-giving. So I think it's saying that the sober effect of God using our tongue and using it with great care should be something that we love. I think that's the idea. I love if I can use my tongue with great care. You and I are, are standing between the soul and eternity wherever, whenever we converse with someone. And let's remember our, our tongues are important instruments of truth to people. And then finally, chapter 22 and verse 11. He that loveth pureness of heart for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. Here's another one of those verses that the king probably takes us heavenward to the king of kings. Who loves the pureness of heart more than the Lord Himself? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now it is true, there are rare rare kings and queens and leaders that love pureness of heart. But it's the king here, isn't it? God is the one who befriends the pure in heart and speech. So, you can see how many of these verses would not have been given a hearing by themselves and they came under the 
the subject of love itself. Let us love the Lord who loves us with an everlasting love. Let us love the truth. Let us love souls and let us love saints. Proverbs is a good place to uh, direct our love for the Lord and for one another. What we're to love and what we're not to love. And God give us that discernment. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the length and the breadth and the depth and the height of your word. Lord, it seemed like we were we were all over Proverbs today. I pray, Lord, that you would give us a love that is taught, a love that is um, discerning, love that shies away, that turns away from idols, turns away from sin, a love that is directed toward righteousness, toward truth, toward Thee, toward souls. O God, we have one life to live. May it be a life of love, a love for Thee, a love for others. Please, please, Lord, use us. Please, shave off the rough edges. Grant to us every day to walk in the Spirit, to have the fruit of the Spirit. And Lord, You said the very first one is love. Forgive us of our unlovingness. Forgive us, Lord, of our sins. May we have a new slate to live for Thee. And may people see the love of Christ in us. The love of those things that are true and righteous and virtuous. Pray that we might reflect You, Lord, and we might be the means of pointing people to Thee. In Jesus' name.